Colossians 3. Go there, if you would, to Colossians 3. We're going to be looking at that passage. I'm calling this sermon, The Designer's Clothes, with a capital D, because the designer that I'm talking about is the creator of the universe and the creator of you and I, God the Father himself, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, he tells us to put on certain clothes. That's why I'm calling those designer clothes. We're going to talk about that today. When I was um, a young youth pastor here at this church, the pastor of the church asked me to go on a missions trip with him to China. And along the way, we stopped in Hong Kong. And Karen and I were together there. We went to visit Jan Smith, a person from the fellowship who was doing some missionary work there. And while we were there, they took us on a shopping day one day, and we went down into the streets where they were selling all the stuff, all the goods were really cheap, and we were dickering for prices, and when it was all over, I came out with, a, with a, one of those shirts with the little alligator symbol on it, right? Very expensive shirt for three bucks. And I was feeling pretty good about that, and I got back to the office where Jan was, and I said, hey, Jan, look at this, I got this shirt for three dollars, and she said, That is a great price, but you know you have to be careful because sometimes those aren't really uh, IZOD shirts. You can just peel that little alligator off and they cheat you. So I reached up and went like that and it peeled right off in my hand. (laughs) Hmm, that's not such a good deal after all. That $3 shirt that shrunk up and wasn't uh, possible to wear after a couple washings. But later I thought, hey, I got this alligator. I can put it on anything I want now. And (laughs) everything's designer, right? But it was a worthless shirt, that's the truth. And you know, we think we have some stuff that we want to hang on to, but we don't realize that God says it's worthless. Get rid of it. Filthy rag. Colossians 3, 8, and 9. Roger talked about this last week, and Roger, you did a great job, brother. I think you're just an awesome preacher last week. Thank you for sharing. But here's what he talked about. It says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior. These are, these are clothes to take off. God says, take off those old clothes. Slander, dirty language, don't lie to each other for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And then he says in Colossians 3.10, now we're gonna pick it up and we're gonna talk about not the clothes to take off, that was last week, but the clothes to put on, the designer's clothes, the creator who made you. It says, put on your new nature in verse 10. And here's what he said in Colossians 3. But let me say before that, we need to take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Now, we think too often of grace, we actually water grace down when we think of it as just something that we're forgiven with. Grace is more than forgiveness, it's enablement, it's power. It's power to overcome, not just power that God forgives us with. We see that in Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God that leads to salvation, teaches, teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. For, so for those who think grace is just about forgiveness, I want to bring a new dimension to you from the Word of God. It's about power to overcome as well. Have you ever heard the old missionary say, by the grace of God we made it through? They're talking about that enabling power that took them through. And so by the grace of God, we can put on these new clothes. We take off the grave clothes, put on the grace clothes, and here they are in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit 
to do a great work in us today by enabling us to become more and more like him and put on these things that he says are his characteristics and his clothes. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord. Help us to be real and honest. Honest about the flaws that we have and that you don't care for them to continue in our lives. That you ask believers to take off the old stuff and put on the new. Lord, you are not comfortable with us staying where we're at without growth and blaming it on our personalities. You want us to take on your personality and your characteristics. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd humbly help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with that list. First, compassion. Tender-hearted mercy, it said in the New Living Translation. Did you know in that culture that Paul was writing in the New Testament day, uh, the sick and the injured or the elderly were often left to fend for themselves. Uh, they, families often wouldn't take them in. There wasn't a rest home that they could go to. The government didn't necessarily provide for them because they were under Roman rule and, and, and they, there was an occupation that had taken place. So the sick, the wounded, the old were left to themselves quite often and they would die that way because nobody would take care of them. And Paul is saying right out of the bat, and God is saying to us for our culture today, I want you to have mercy on people who don't have much, who are in a bad place. They need me, and I'm sending you to them. This compassion is a deeply felt affection and sympathy that is shown in outward deeds of goodness. So compassion is not saying, oh, did you see that? I feel so bad for those guys. Well, that would be sympathy, but compassion not only sympathizes, but it empathizes and goes a step forward to deeds and actions. So it's not just a good thought. It's not just people saying nice words. It's action that is compassionate. God will often move the hearts of his people for a cause or a person so that they can see him. I believe the Lord is giving to this fellowship a heart for Cambodia. In October, we're going to have a couple of Cambodian missionaries in front of you. One of them, a businessman who in his 50s, God changed his life radically and he's building homes to rescue uh, young ladies who are being sexually trafficked in Cambodia. He's built six homes throughout Asia and we're talking about building the seventh, purchasing the land and we're hoping for an October morning where we'll raise $100,000 in one morning in this fellowship. You say, how do you do that? I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to carry the compassion of God. And why would God want to have compassion towards the people of Cambodia? Well, I had the privilege of going to Cambodia just a few months ago. And I was deeply moved. Now, I've been to several countries in the, in the world. And I've seen lots of hurt in this world. I've seen poverty. And um, I've seen people who don't know Jesus. That, that I've seen pagan cultures. I've just... I've carried a heart for missions and, and the work of Jesus in the world for all the years that I've been a pastor here. As a matter of fact, in the last 10 years, this fellowship, actually more than 10, maybe 15 or so, but at least 10, we've given three to $400,000 a year to missions beyond this church. Now, we don't go out and announce that to everybody, although I'm saying it today. I was surprised when I shared recently where we're sending money and what we're doing. I was very surprised to hear people say, I didn't know we were doing all that. Well, evidently, it's good for you to know that your church has a heart for the world and that Jesus is moving our heart. And so we've reached out, but God is calling us to concentrate our efforts in an incredible way, in a very focused way towards Cambodia in the next decade. And you're going to hear more and more about that. But here's, 
here's how I was moved when I went to Cambodia. And I think God moved my heart, but I'm saying he's given it to us because after I shared a couple of months ago, I was shocked by how quickly you picked up the burden in it. And I knew that it had to be something Jesus was transferring because I'm not persuasive enough to do that. But why Cambodia? Let me show you what God showed me when I was there. Although I've seen poverty and although I've seen pagan culture, I've, I've never seen a people who've been abused like the people in Cambodia. 20 years or so ago, there was a regime led by a man named Pol Pot and a government called the Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge uh, became violent and, and started to destroy people that they thought were against them or had any religion whatsoever. And they pulled in, this is, this is the estimates, in a country where there's 7 million people in the population at the time, they killed, it's estimated, 1.7 million people. Now, it was brutal, the killing fields. You've heard of it. They took them out. They smashed babies against trees. I mean, it's the, 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 the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things he works in is intimidation. And people who had done nothing uh, could be spoken against and they'd be pulled in and killed. Now, think of this. You think of the seven people that you're closest to in your life. Two of them got killed. Two of them were killed by the government, taken and brutalized, many with their heads cut off. I walked through those killing fields and it was something to behold. It was the deadliest regime in the 20th century in the world. 1.7 million murdered. One of the things I noticed about that country that I'd never seen anywhere else is they were totally disassociated emotionally. They would not let themselves be emotionally attached to anyone. Think of this. Not only did the government do this, but the Vietnamese overran them, kicked that government out, stayed there for 10 years, but made a deal with the very same government, essentially. And although Pol Pot didn't go back into power as the main person, five of the generals that had been the problems and caused the killing went back into power and justice was never done. In that country, they walk around with people who cut the heads off of their family members and they don't even know who the people are. Now you imagine what that would do to a culture. Were you part of that? Were you part of it? They just, rather than talk about it, they just don't talk. But they're walking with each other. Justice has never been done. The government has never been made to pay for that. And think of what it would be like to have people so close to you just taken with no justice not only are they disassociated from one another because they don't know who killed who, they won't emotionally attach themselves the way we do to family members. Because after all, they were once taken and murdered. It could happen again. How close do you get? I've never seen anything like that in my whole life. They don't smile a whole lot. And it's years afterwards, a couple decades, missionaries have gone in there. The work of Christ is happening. But God is moving the hearts of people and he moved the hearts of your pastor, the heart of your pastor. And he's gonna move the heart of this fellowship to make an intense effort in the next decade, starting with raising money to build a home for those girls that are being sexually trafficked in that culture. Going well beyond that to building churches and other works. You say, well, we could be in lots of places. Listen, we're gonna be in lots of places still, but we're gonna make an effort like we've never made before. And why? Doesn't it make sense when a people have been so abused 
that the love of God would reach to them in a significant way. Can't you see why he would put it on the heart of not one pastor, not ten pastors, but hundreds and thousands of pastors that he would focus and say, I want to go to these people that have been abused because I'm, my heart is towards them, because I love them, because I have compassion for them. And he focuses pastors and he focuses churches and we're going to see a nation changed. We're going to reach out. Because the compassion of God moves us. Is there any other reason where we'd sacrifice having something in our own homes? I mean, you know, we, we worried about our lives and, you know, our, our three cars aren't running as well as we'd like them to and our six televisions and, and you know, our cable, we're gonna have to drop from 150 a month to 85 because finances aren't going well and these, these people don't even have a scooter to ride. And God's going to move the heart of his people. I'm going to tell you one of the reasons God called me to this church. He called me to take some of the richest people in the world. I know you don't think of yourselves that way. But if you do a little research on the computer, you will see that you are compared to the rest of the world. Even if you make 20 grand a year, you're among the, the 1% richest in the world. And God's called me and us to reach out to those who can't help themselves and give the love of God. Matthew 25, 37. Then these righteous ones will reply. This is Jesus speaking to the servants of the Lord, saying this. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? He had told them this. Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. God moves the hearts of his people with compassion, a tender mercy towards those who need his help. Individuals and churches. Second characteristic here, kindness. God says, I want you to put this piece of clothing on. It's a designer's clothes. Kindness is closely related to compassion that I just talked about. The Greek term refers to grace that will pervade the, the whole person or the whole life of a person. Ephesians 4, 32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It refers to a sweet disposition that's attached to, to a heart that is generous, sweet disposition, generosity. That's, that's what kindness has, has to, uh, to do with. Let me talk to, to those who might be a type A personality. Strong, because I'm, I'm type A. Um, you, you know, I'm, uh, if, you, if they have the little animals in the testing where there's the lion, the otter, the golden retriever, and the beaver, I don't know if you're familiar with that testing, but type A is the lion. They roar to get things done. And I've got, I, I test high as a lion and high as an otter, and those things are at odds quite often with me, as you can imagine. But it's a good leadership profile to want to get the excellence, to get it done and move forward, but make sure everybody's okay and having fun as we're moving together. So that's, that's the gift mix that I have. But if I'm not careful, I can make excuses for my type A personality. And I, I've heard people say, well, it's just the way I am. People need to accept me. I'm just wired that way. I'm, I'm strong with my opinions and I, I do what I feel is right. Oh, okay. So us type A personalities, we don't have to take on the fruit of the Spirit like everybody else. We just get a pass, a buy. It's not true. 
God says for every one of us to put this on, and I just want to say this, stop making excuses for the way you are and decide that it's bad if it's not kind and decide that you're going to try your best and trust in the Holy Spirit to become the kind person that he would like you to become so that he might be glorified. Here's the deal about kindness. It doesn't cost us anything to give. How hard is it to look in the eye of the waitress and actually see the person? You call their name sometime. I've seen it. You just call their name and say, how's your day going? And that person who's moving around and doing things and staying busy will actually light up because they are, there's a person behind the counter there with a life. And when you say kind words, did you know that you can make a person's day with a kind word? If you knew how great and how fun it was to be kind, if we, if we really knew the rewards of that because we did it on a regular basis, we'd just, we'd just do more and more of it. Not only can you make a person's day, you can make their week, you can make their month, you can make their year. Sometimes you can change the course of a life with kindness. Now you can see why it'd be so important that we take on that characteristic. Jesus seemed to treat every person he met like they were the most important person in the world. It's a remarkable thing about Jesus, isn't it? And some, somehow we, we can get too busy and just make it about ourselves and not think about others in the busyness of our, of our lives. Have you ever heard someone say, you mention a name, and they go, oh, that person, and they'll tell you about a kind thing they did 10 years before for them. A decade later, it is resonating the kindness that came through them and what it meant to them. There's no wonder that the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That's what the Bible says about our Heavenly Father. It doesn't say it's his judgment that leads people to repent. When you know how loving and how kind he is and when we take on his characteristics, eventually, here's the deal, when we wear this clothing, eventually God gets the credit for it. They see kindness and associate it with our walk with Jesus and say, hey, I want some of that. It doesn't cost us anything to be kind, but it does pay in a huge way. We enjoy life better when we're kind and others around us certainly enjoy it more when we're kind and God says, be kind. Put that clothing on. It's the new clothes. It's my clothes. It's the designer clothes that I want you to wear. Third characteristic we see here, piece of clothing called humility. In the pagan world of Paul's day, they didn't admire humility. Think of it as a war culture. So domination and intimidation ruled the day. Our culture is not tremendously different where pride can come in. And I, I mean, um, you look at the actors and actresses and singers and athletes and is it humility that seems to be the thing that is the characteristic that is the most obvious about them or is it a pride? And a, they would call it confidence. Others might call it cockiness. Maybe not the realization that whatever they have was given to them, including their looks, I might add. Their talent and ability given by God. But taking credit for everything and 
showing everybody how awesome they are. Now we'll see it among some of them at times. And humility is appealing, but it's not the order of the day in America, let's be honest. Even with business, not, not just entertainment. But it's so appealing that when you see humility, because it's a characteristic of, of God, the person with humility thinks of others first and not of themselves. Others first and, and, and not themselves. I recently had the privilege of um, going and giving a devotion to Luis Palau's office and the workers there. It's 40 or 50 people, I think, that came into the room that day. Pastor Randy went along with me. This was uh, two weeks ago, I think. And... Um, I just, I just love Luis Palau, his sons, and that team. And the reason I love them is they're so much like Jesus. I, I can't find any pride, any wrong spirit in them at all. And you know, if you're picking a person who's probably uh, the, the person that may be the most influential in America as an evangelist or draws more people live than any other evangelist, it's probably Luis Palau. Um, Billy Graham doesn't go out anymore. And so here's a guy that has more notoriety as a Christian, he's an author, and, and yet he's this really humble guy. And so I, I, I was giving this, uh, about ready to step up and give this devotion, about a 20-minute uh, sharing time, and I told Randy before I started, these people are fortunate today because they have somebody who really loves them that's about to encourage them. I mean, I just love them. I just think they, they have the, the perfect heart of Christ from what I've seen. That may be too strong, but that's what I know of them. Um, and so just before I got up to share, Luis Palau came in and I didn't know he was there. And it intimidated me a little bit, you know. And, and, I, and I was kind of feeling like, hey, you want to share? Uh, you know, because I, I felt like Peter, you know, no, I should be washing your feet. You know, I'm not going to teach Luis Palau, but, but obviously it was my assignment for the day and I was there to encourage and I felt like the Lord had given me something. So I, I just shared. And at the end of the time, they were encouraged and I think the Lord blessed the time that we had with them and he came up and he's so gracious and everybody on that team is so gracious and so nice and so sweet and kind. Um, and Luis talked with me for a while and, 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 and um, then he said, where's, where's Randy? Because I had introduced Randy Campbell and I'd introduced him as an awesome staff member associate that I was such a privilege and a blessing to walk with in life and ministry and as my friend. But I'd mentioned that he was the festival director for Jesus Northwest. Anybody ever remember that festival called Jesus Northwest? Randy was the director of that event for 10 years, over a decade. So it's a significant outreach of 30,000 people that were gathering that, that Randy, uh, you know, was pretty good at bringing people together, the body of Christ together, and, and having a good time with speakers and music and, and such. But uh, Luis afterwards, he had heard me say that about Randy. I didn't say all that about the festival, but I said he was the Jesus Northwest Festival Director. Well, they use a festival format for their outreach. As a matter of fact, they used to have the crusade format, which is kind of the Billy Graham thing. You just bring a big group together. But they went to a festival format with BMX bikers out there and dip, you know, people sharing their testimonies and bands from everywhere and all kinds of stuff, uh, skating and stuff that they would bring kids and people together with. Well, now they went from three to 5,000 an event to 100 to 200,000 an event as, as he listened to his boys and listened to some young people. Bank that one. Listen to some young, young people. They know how to reach their culture. And, and, and so when I mentioned the festival, they have a festival format. I didn't know what was clicking in Luis's head, but at the end of the time speaking with me, he said, where's Randy? I said, I don't know. And he said, I want to talk to him. 
And so, uh, you know, we went looking for Andy and of course he's so efficient, he's out there patting his feet, ready for me to go and, you know, I got work to do. And Luis comes up to Randy and he's so gracious to Randy saying that he, the festival had, had an impact on him and he said to Randy, I remember when you guys quit the festival, there was an article in the Oregonian that they said that they felt that the event that came out of People's Church and the event that Randy was running had become too commercial and that the emphasis uh, was losing its impact uh, as far as focus on Jesus, so they felt the time had come to end it. Now, I might add, it was a very lucrative ministry, a nonprofit that would put that money that they made into other stuff, but nevertheless, they made money, they charged ticket prices, and they were pretty good ticket prices to get in there. And they felt like it had become too commercial and they shut their own event down. And Louise said to Randy, I just want you to know that that impacted me greatly because they didn't do festivals. And he said, when my sons came to me with this festival format, the one thing um, that was on his mind was that article and remembering uh, that, it, that, that, that they, it had become too commercial. And so they made a decision never to charge a dime to be involved in their festivals. They raised all the support outside. I had a friend who went to an event with me once who wasn't a believer, a neighbor that I took to a, to a, a, a Jamming Against the Darkness event and we, they, they, they passed the offering bucket there. And later, my neighbor referred to that as, you remember that time when they took our money. That's the way he spoke of, uh, and I was like, yeah, we like to call that the offering. But, but, but to him, that's what it felt like. Oh, you want to take my money, right? He's just, well, lots of people who don't know Jesus might feel that way about it. And Luis doesn't let it come into play in that setting. But he learned something. So here he is ministering to Randy, being so kind. He doesn't have to talk to Randy about that. But he kind of made Randy's day. And it made him feel good that something, something of doing the right thing and shutting something down, which he had grieved about for years, that had, uh, uh, to, at least to some degree, grateful for the impact, but wondered, you know, did we do everything just right, even shutting it down? And somehow that was sealing something in Randy's heart that day. The kindness of Luis Palau and his humility to say, hey, you minister to me too. You've blessed me. Here's what it says. Now, those of you who are into God's favor or people who talk of favor, uh, listen to what this says. All of you serve each other in humility. This is 1 Peter 5. For God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Hey, you want the favor of God? Walk in humility. So often I hear about people, they're talking about the favor of God with some sort of pride. Well, we have the favor of God. Well, be careful because you're about to lose it if you keep that attitude that's that, that, you know, cares cockiness that somehow he likes you more than others. Here's what he says. In some way, when people are humble, his servants, he backs them with more power. He backs them with more of who he is. So humble yourselves, it says, under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. He honors those who are humble. And I would say the humility brings the attention to God. That's the mark of humility. The humble person knows their source, knows where the power comes from. God's presence and power in their lives gives them the certainty and confidence in Him, not in themselves. Not in the power they hold, but in the power that holds them, the power of God. So let's walk in humility. Fourth thing here, gentleness, characteristics spoken of, clothing that we're to put on. Also called meekness in some of your versions of the Bible there. It won't say gentleness, it say meekness and, and uh, gentleness for us is a word we understand more in our culture, but it, but it means the same thing. And I like something I heard years ago. It goes like this. Meekness is not weakness. 
It's strength under control. Gentleness is the opposite of being harsh. Gentleness is the willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. The word preutes in the Greek describes these things. Here's what it means, the word gentleness, if you look up the definition. Like a soothing wind, part of the definition. Like a healing medicine. Like a colt that has been broken. <clears throat> the interesting thing about each of those instances is there's power involved in each one when it comes to wind, medicine, and a horse. Each of those elements, each of those entities, each of those things has power. But too much wind can be a problem. Candace and I were having, my daughter were having lunch yesterday. It was over 90 degrees. We were sitting outside. We didn't know how hot it was going to be. It caught us by surprise. We we're kind of complaining, even though we we're enjoying our time about how hot it was. And all of a sudden, we were, we were near Lake Oswego. Off the lake came just a, 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 a cool wind. And it was refreshing and it felt great. And it stayed for 10 or 15 minutes. And it just, it was awesome. This felt so good. And gentleness is like that cool wind. But, you know, my parents live in <clears throat> Joplin, Missouri, or right near there. And they had a tornado that was Category 5. And that was wind, too, 200 miles an hour. And it, it, it flattened, it leveled 8,000 buildings and killed 150 people. Both were wind. The gentle breeze was a wind. That was quite a wind in, in Joplin. But it brought destruction. So often we come in and we want righteousness or whatever our cause may be and we're too strong or we think we're right and anger's deserved and there is a righteous anger that the Bible talks about but it rarely has to do with our own stuff. It's usually the rescuing of someone else who can't help themselves or someone else who's being mistreated and, and we'll call it righteous anger when it's all about us sometimes and that's, that's not right. It's not what the Bible talks about with the righteous anger. Gentleness is valuable. Gentleness is something God ask for. It's power that's under control. Jesus was gentle, but he was the most powerful force on the earth. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels and had all that power to deliver him from his suffering on the cross, but he was supposed to go to the cross because he was forgiving you and I. He was paying the price for our sins. The wrath of God the Father fell on him against sin so it wouldn't fall on us and we've been forgiven by the grace of God. But his gentleness had nothing to do with weakness. He is powerful, yet he is gentle. And that's what he asked for from us. He doesn't want to act like, uh, you, you know, a passive intolerance um, uh, towards things or, or letting ourselves get run over, but a reliance on him. The person who exercises gentleness is self-controlled because he's God-controlled. And as we become like Jesus, we leave open the possibility of that gentleness being an example that others see and learn from and eventually turn their hearts to Christ. Since I've uh, become a Christian, you know, I really dedicated my life to the Lord when I was about 20 years old. Um, I'd kind of been God's grandchild before that, kind of living through my parents' experience. But, but I had made some mistakes in life and eventually turned my heart to Christ and decided to follow him. And since that day I, I, that I became a Christian, I think that this characteristic is the one that I've had to struggle with the most, gentleness. 
I'm gonna be honest and vulnerable with you and hope you still like me at the end of this. It's not my primary objective that you would like me, but I do like it when you like me. But I, I, I have had to, this has been an area, and you know, I think we all have our areas that are harder for us, and the interesting thing is that's where the enemy will hit you, is in your weakness, right? And so we have to watch that area more than others, and we have to, we, we have to submit it to Christ, and we have to call it what it is, call it bad, if that's a characteristic that, that you, you know, the, if, if gentleness isn't part of your life and you're making excuses, call the harshness bad, Call, call the domination bad. Call the machoism bad and say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I remember the day and it took me a while where I said to Jesus, okay, I receive it. It is better to turn the other cheek. Now, I had always interpreted that as this is one cheek and that is another one over there. And I would say that as a joke even though I knew what the scriptures meant. But let me, let me tell you why I struggled. I, I was taught to be a warrior when I was a kid. My dad was a boxer and he was a military man as well. Pastor Ray, who he became later, was one tough dude, I'm just telling you. And he taught his boys to be warriors. I was taught by a sports culture to win, just win, baby. I was taught that toughness is better than tenderness. I was taught that it is better to dominate than to be dominated. Sounds a lot like the culture in America, doesn't it? I had teachers that were insecure and they prevailed in, in, in my life with their philosophies without me being aware of it that I was taking on characteristics that were thwarting the very thing that God would want me to be. I believe that if I let others have their way, then I was letting them run over me. I remember a coach busting a clipboard over my head. It's him calling right now to say he's sorry, right there. <laughs> I remember a coach choking me. It's not very kind, is it? Somehow, I think in him, those whole insecurities of, I don't know what he was thinking, but if we're not careful, those people that have hurt us that we never want to be like, we, we, we can take on even, even a degree as evil, even just a small degree of taking that on because someone got after us is bad. The consequences of my misperception in this, and I, I believe I've grown. I was talking to Candace about this yesterday at lunch, and I said, and I've grown. She said, really? I said, hey, 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 hey. And she laughed. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I haven't overcome completely here. I want to. I want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? The consequences and the misperception, the things I took on have only hurt me and they've hurt a lot of people that I've been around. I'm sad to say that. 
My stubborn insecurity, my slowness of growth brought pain for me and others. And often I've weakened the very relationships that I care about the most because I wasn't gentle. I, I, I just told the Lord, Lord, I want to grow. I want to be like you. And I, I think I've grown all the way, but I think I'm going to have to watch it all the time. I told you a couple weeks ago about my dad and I totally love my dad, totally love him. I just think he's awesome. But I mentioned that when he got saved, um, he started to change. But he's pretty rough before he got saved. I watched him grow though and I could see that Jesus was changing his life. It, it didn't always come immediately but it was it was in action all the way from the beginning that's one of the reasons I decided to follow this Jesus seeing him change my dad but when Aaron my son who's 22 now was 14 so this was several years ago we're driving along right here in Twalton I remember the light where we're at and he said you know dad I was just thinking of something I've never once in my life seen grandpa mad and I had to resist saying, really? Hmm. But I didn't say that. I, th I, I thought, how cool. How cool that my daddy let Jesus come alive in him. And change him to such a point where the things that were wrong in him, he submitted to Christ. And eventually they moved away where his grandkids never even saw the things that once held him or bound him. That is a Jesus deal. My dad's been a great example of growing in Christ all your life. Every day. If you think you've arrived, you have because you'll never grow beyond that point. That's, what, that's it for you. No more growth if you think you're there. But when you say, Lord, I want to be like you, help me, change me, show me. Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a great example for you, for others, for my children. I, I want to bless you and I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to grow. I hope you do too. Fifth characteristic here, patience, also called long-suffering. We think of patience as, boy, I'm patiently waiting till this pastor gets done with this long sermon, but it's a little deeper than that. When you add the word long-suffering, now you have to think about people or difficult circumstances. God wants us to be long-suffering, to put up with the negative, it means in the Greek. To refrain or abstain to control yourself. To bear someone who's doing wrong or something without retaliating. This means that patience is to put up with even the exasperating conduct of others. Patience. God wants us to be long-suffering. Now, I want you to raise your hand on this. Be honest with me. Mine's going up on this one. 
How many of you would say that God has been patient and long-suffering with you? Raise your hand. All right, okay. Man, what an honest group you are. So doesn't it make sense that he would want us to be that way with others? Freely we've received, freely give. I'm gonna tell another bad story on myself here. Man, you guys are gonna wonder if if I should even stand up here when this is done. (laughs) About a year ago, I stopped a truck out here, an 18-wheeler on our property. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last five years that we've been here, 18-wheelers are using us as a turnaround when they must make a wrong turn on the freeway or something. We're the spot where they turn around. And they have absolutely destroyed the landscaping and the sprinkler system in that um, roundabout four or five times. I'll bet you, as a matter of fact, if, you, if you're going out on the Norwood side closest to the field today, football field, you'll see a sprinkler that's destroyed there. It just happens to us on a regular basis. A truck ran over it. I came by and it was just squirting 30 feet in the air. And evidently, the Lord wants to use grass to bring patience into my life. Because of my home, where my lawn's been run over by 30 or 40 of you, in, in the spirit of sorry, all, all along the way, just kidding, just kidding, I'm not, I'm not I, it, uh, that doesn't bother me anymore. The church property, I'm still working through it. But I'll bet you, there's ten dollars to $20,000 worth of damage that's happened in the last four years because people run over stuff with trucks that shouldn't even be here. They're not, they, they know better than to come on here. So a year ago, after all this was building up and seeing, I mean, we have boulders this big in there one year and a rig ran, ran over the boulder and just drug it off and damaged everything. It's just like, really? You don't know? You don't stop and say sorry or can I fix that or anything? But that's happened to us over and over again. So finally, I'd had enough. I saw a truck on the campus and I, I pulled my Suburban right in front of it and stopped it. <laughs> and I got out and I walked up to the guy and I said, what are you doing on this property? You should not be here. You do not have permission to be here. Turn around and go back. (laughs) Now, it's like there was role reversal because he was kind of quiet and I was the trucker in that moment, you know. (laughs) Had all this stuff building up in me because, you know, this abuse we'd been taking around here. And he said, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I'm trying to figure it out. And some guy, Alex Escara, I'm supposed to deliver this for. And... It's like, oh man, it was, it, it was for our baseball field that he was coming with a, a delivery. And I said, uh, oh yeah, this is the right place. Uh, right, right through there. And I got in the car and drove away. I thought, oh my word. You know, what? So I, I got home and I told Karen the story. And she always makes things better by saying something like this. Good job, Pastor Stan. <laughs> It's the only time she calls me Pastor Stan when she's making fun of me. <laughs> Three days ago, I pull in here. There's an 18-wheeler turning around in a roundabout. This is a year later. I feel it again. Because <laughs> we have a broken sprinkler out here, right? This time, I don't block him, but he's waiting for me to pull through the roundabout. And I park, and I walk over, and I say, may I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm supposed to. Now, I was still, I was upset. I thought he shouldn't be here. I wanted to tell him to get off again. But he said, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to deliver this somewhere, these machines, and do you know this name? And 
It was somebody associated with this field over here. They're bringing equipment to work on the football field. I said, yes, sir, you'll want to go right over there. And uh, you're, at, you're at the right place. So I was going back to the car, and just before I got in, I felt like the Lord said this to me. I like the way you did that. Now, you know what I thought was cool? He didn't say, now, that was much better than the other way, wasn't it? <laughs> he could have. You know, bad parents will do that sometimes. But he didn't even condemn me. He just said, I like that. You ever, you ever feel the Lord just affirming you, saying, I like the way you did that. But immediately my mind, when he said, I like the way you did that, my mind jumped to the year before. And I thought, yeah, this was a lot better than that one, wasn't it? Oh, we're just so human. But when we're more like Jesus, everything gets better. Ephesians 4.2 says, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other. Now, moving quickly here, forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, another characteristic. Make allowance for each other's faults. We want you to make allowance. I want you to make allowance for my faults. Because after all, everybody makes mistakes, right? But isn't it weird how we want people to understand that we're just human and, but we won't give them the same grace that we want ourselves. We want people to make allowance for our faults but we don't make allowance for theirs. Hey, can't have it both ways. And forgive anyone who offends you. Not most people. Anyone. There's a reason for this we'll talk about. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This means to be gracious and forgiving others in the same manner that you'd like for them to forgive you when you make a mistake. So these designer clothes, now listen, all the rules change. The old ways, the worldly way, can't do it anymore. Grudges have to go when you become a believer. Not allowed because it hurts you and it hurts others. Revenge is out of the question. You say, but there's an injustice that someone did to me or someone did to others. Listen, we're not saying that bad stuff is okay. We're saying we know that God is full of love and justice and he'll take care of it according to his plan. Judgment is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It's not saying it's okay, it's it's giving it forth to God and trusting him and not requiring for something hap to happen for you to be healed. You've heard me talk about this before. If I need someone to do the right thing for me to be okay, what if they never do the right thing? Then I'm never okay. I don't need them to do the right thing to be okay. You know why? Because Jesus is greater than anything they've done to me. His healing can come to me. His forgiveness. He changes my life. I am not dependent on the behaviors of others for, my, for the way I feel. God heals even if they don't do the right thing. And I can leave it in the hands of a loving and just God and he'll take care of it. And that's what forgiveness means, to give forth, right? Forgive, give forth to God. Say, God, this is in your hands. It's not enough 
for the Christian to be patient, gentle, kind, and refuse to retaliate. You have to forgive the troublemaker too. I have to forgive the troublemaker, not just be patient and kind when they cause it. And here's why. Because if you and I don't forgive, we become bitter and we mess up everybody around us, not just ourselves. Hebrews 12, 15, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble hurting many in their spiritual lives. What, have you ever thought about that? Your bitterness hurts other lives spiritually. And parents, there's no lives we hurt more with bitterness than the lives of our children. I want to give you a little tip that I, that, I, that I mean for everybody that I give this talk everywhere I go. Be careful the way you talk about other Christians in the church. Be careful with it in front of your kids. It's no wonder that many kids don't return to the church when they get old enough to decide what they want to do. Because quite often all they've heard is their parents talk about pastors in a negative way or talk about other believers in a passive aggressive way. Well, they mean well, but you know this person did that and that and and I don't like the way they did that, but I'll pray for them. Well, pretty soon they think the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites and I don't want to have any part of it and they never come back. The church is full of brokenness, it's true. We'll never be like Jesus who we completely see him, but it's full of love and there's so many good things. They're everywhere to be seen, not just in the small church, that's a small church with the C, Horizon, but the big church, capital C, universal, Christians worldwide, let's speak in a positive fashion about the body of Christ and how we've been blessed because if we're not careful, hey, listen, there's plenty you could be upset about that the church has done. There's plenty you could be upset about that pastors have done. But spiritually, little ones are gonna be affected in a negative way and I know you'd never want that in a million years but we become our own worst enemy at times. God help us to forgive, to give forth, and even to speak well so we don't become bitter and defile others who are around us. When we don't forgive, we ruin the quality of life for others as well. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And then the girdle. Love. Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, so God loves us, it says in that verse. And then skip to verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. And then here's the girdle, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. All these characteristics are really love wrapped up together. God chose one word to describe himself, love. Love is all these things that we've been talking about today, all wrapped up together, and it binds us together in perfect harmony. I, um, I've discovered that when I understand his love for me, that I can love others more completely. And I want you to look at those two verses again. Colossians 3.12. It says, God chose you as holy people. He loves you. And then verse 14, it's like a sandwich. Therefore, clothe yourselves with love. 
And for me, and I think for the believer, it's true. When we really discover how much he loves us, we'll start to love others in a more complete way. We'll start to say, I mean, I have, I have things that'll happen wrong now and the older I get, I think I'm getting a little better and I'll say to myself, I, I remember when I've done something like that before. Give him a break. I'll give him a pass on this one. Doesn't mean it's okay. I don't know if we'll ever completely understand his love for us. It's just so deep. It's, it's too amazing. But I know this, the people that understand it more do better. I'm talking about people that understand how much God loves them. You know why people are hard on others sometimes? A dad, a mom who means well? Because they think that's the way God is with them. You tend to, to, to do to others what, you, what, what your perception of God might be. You tend to force it upon others. And he's loving and he's gentle and he's forgiving and he's patient and all those things have been ours. So when we understand that, then we can love others that way. I, I want to fully understand his love. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of my new mission. Help me understand how much you love. And it's even hard for me to say, I don't know why. Help me to understand how much you love me. But he loves me and he loves you. And when we get it, we do better. Now here's some examples. For instance, God is way stronger than me, but he never forces me to do anything. Understanding how he loves me. He lovingly leads me and yet he allows me to choose even when I choose wrong. He's not insecure when I disagree with him. I might add to that, he's never wrong. And yet there are times that I've disagreed with him. And yet he loves me. He's not insecure about that. He desires to hang out with me even when I'm not behaving well. When I understand how he loves me, I can love others more completely. If I could learn to love others the way he loves me, if I can grow and become more like him, if I could put on these designer clothes that he's talking about, his character then life is going to go well for me. It's going to go well for others who are around me. And Jesus is going to be seen in me in a better, clearer way. I want to grow. So let's let go of those things we need to let go of and put on these new clothes. Now, my daughter Candace is not here today. And I'm going to share an item from her youth. And she told me she's glad she's not here because I'm going to do this illustration she's at a singing performance her mother's with her today and um but candace had a security blanket when she was young little girl how many had children with security blankets or you had one yourself be honest now okay so you understand you know kids just can't sleep unless they get a hold of it candace 
had just one blanket. It had to be the same one all the time. She couldn't go to sleep. She wanted it on a regular basis. She had to have it, but it was, it was kind of weird because she wouldn't sleep unless she had a hold of one specific corner of the four on that blanket. It had to be that corner. As a matter of fact, she didn't call it a blanket or a blankie. She called it Kona. In reference to the corner. She couldn't speak well enough to say corner. And when she wanted her blanket, she'd say, Kona, Kona. And we could give her that blanket. We, we were amused by it. We could give it to her in the dark and she would spin that thing till she found the right corner in the dark. Here is Candace's security blanket right here. Karen actually made it look a little better. I told her, you shouldn't have sewed it. Or, but, she, but you can see, she wore this thing out. Now, as you look at the corners on that, you know, that's a pretty good one. And uh, that's a pretty good one. And, uh, oh yeah, here we go. Dirty. <laughs> and she would, she would just lace them through like a little braid. And, she, and when she'd get that, she'd be gone, you know? <laughs> little girl. And she loved this blanket, this ugly, gross blanket. She had to have it. And when she was three, we decided it would be a good thing for her to let go of it. But she did not want to let go of this dirty garment. She kicked and screamed. She acted like she was going to die. She threw a fit. I'm glad she's not here too. And... <clears throat> And I couldn't really tell her, but I wanted to say, Candace, you know, you're going to really appreciate me when you get to junior high and you don't have that blanket with you. <laughs> it's got to go. Because sometimes we just need to put away childish things. We need to say, you know, that's not something that I, that I really need to pack around from here on because those are immature things and I'm moving on with my life. And I'll close with this. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Hebrews 12.1. Especially the sin that so easily trips, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's okay to say, I need to grow. It's good to say. As a matter of fact, your biggest fear is you'll lose credibility with people and it's a lie from the devil. They all know how you are. You're gonna get more credibility when you say, I need to grow, I wanna grow. And even go further to a brother or sister or a wife or a husband. Help me grow. Help me. Because I wanna do it.